0: You know what I mean you got to have a whole different arsenal. You can't just do one thing great in 3X3 and just think you're going to be successful. Mesdames et messieurs,
1: the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games is about to begin. This is going to be close. On, and welcome to another episode of Keep the Flame Alive, the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. I am your host Jill Jaris, joined as always by my lovely co-host Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I want to share a very
2: disconcerting conversation I had with my mother. Okay. So I, I talk to my mother frequently. She knows I do the podcast, and a couple of days ago, she says, "Oh, didn't the Tokyo Olympics happen last year?" <laughs> And, I, and And she then we, of course, I said, "Um, no, there was this little thing called COVID." And she said, "Oh, yeah, I, I realized that I, I thought I might have just missed seeing them." And I said, "No, no, you didn't miss it. It didn't happen. It's supposed to happen this summer, and I I'm just was so sad that <laughs> <laughs> Like, Mom, do you even love me?" <laughs> So I'm a little sad today, so I think I might need a little cheering up.
1: Oh, we got plenty of news to cheer you up today, especially news for our Patreon patrons. We have put together a little mascot madness episode for our patrons who get the audio feature in their patronage. And uh, we're taping that today. So I am excited to see which Summer Olympic mascot will win our 2021 contest. I've got brackets. I've got plans. I am excited. Who's going to be the Gonzaga
2: of this bracket? <laughs> Who's the Cinderella story? Will it be Valdi? I don't know.
1: Will it be Izzy? Who knows? But you can find out if you become a Patreon patron. Check out uh, patreon.com slash for more information. All right, today we are talking about 3x3 basketball with Team USA's Dominique Jones. Dominique won gold with Team USA at the 2019 Pan Am Games. He plays on the 3x3 circuit with Team New York Harlem. They are ranked eighth on the 3x3 World Tour. 3x3 also ranks players individually. Dominique is the top-ranked U.S. player and is currently ninth in the world. We talked with him about how this new Olympic sport works Take a listen. Dominique, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, 3x3 is new to the Olympics this year. And, you know, people might think that it's just basketball on a half court, regular five on five, but it's a totally different game.
0: So sure. let,
1: let's break it down. 3x3, three players, but there's four on a team, right?
0: Yeah. Yes. Four on and, a team,
1: And you played the whole time. All of you play because you're it. You, and you, change, say-
0: you, you can change out one person, you know, on a dead ball, on a foul, or anything. just to, you know, you got to be in really great shape. So that fourth person is very pivotal to stepping on the court and, you know, just relieving you, giving you a break and, you know, just looking at different things to help out a little bit.
1: And the game is 10 minutes long or up to 21 points. Correct. Okay. So much
2: shorter and much
1: faster.
0: Yes, and a twelve and the twelve second shot clock. That's that's the most important thing you gotta realize too. It's a twelve second shot clock, so gotta be quick on your feet.
2: And no jump balls, no alternating possession
0: after no a basket. Jump. It it actually is jump balls, but if it's a jump ball, but to start the game off, it's it starts with a, a coin flip, and you can decide whether you want the ball or if they, if you think the game might go into overtime, you get it in overtime, or you can take the ball then. So
2: just the whole game is so much faster than five-on-five.
1: Five.
0: Correct. Extremely faster, yes.
1: When you have a 12-second shot clock, how do you learn to manage that versus a – now I'm blanking on this. Five-on-five five is 30 or is it 24?
0: 24. It's 24. FS pros, 24. Um, college is 30.
1: Okay. So when you're dealing with a longer shot clock in five-on-five, five, how do you learn to manage that 12-second shot clock?
0: Um. Honestly – Nobody has mastered that. You know, you just got to, you got to um, honestly just play off your instincts and, you know, a lot of practice, uh, a lot of practice time to get in and, you know, work, work through some plays. And like I said, you got to be in constant motion because the team that stays the most stagnant, it most likely won't work out for you at, in the end. You know what I mean? So, you know, you just got to move. And like I said, being in great shape, is the biggest obstacle because like I said, it's only one sub and only that one, you'll see a lot of different teams fighting. Like, yo, no, no, I got it. Oh, yo, you got it. You take it. No, no, I need it. I need it. You know what I mean? So it's very pivotal. And sometimes you can go two minutes without a whistle blowing and, you know, going out of bounds. So you got to, you know, keep fighting through and, and pushing through in order to, you know, make your way.
2: So on the topic of the the physicality of the sport, the players on 3x3 seem to be shorter on average than uh, I think, five you think,
0: five you think so i don't think so <laughs>
2: okay well you know i do not say anything bad about short people i am five feet <laughs> tall so do not take it as an insult <laughs> okay but just overall they it seemed smaller not see, less I'm, physical but
0: see me I'm, I'm i'm five nine and a half so you know everybody's bigger than me so i think everybody the game is bigger so <laughs> um yeah but for the most part i want to say like you know you don't have your traditional big men you know you have your seven footers there's a few seven footers out there but they got to be mobile you know what I mean so that's why that's probably why you know if you go to the NBA you know you see a whole bunch of different seven foot players and things of that nature but if that seven foot player is not mobile like a uh, Joel Embiid who's kind of mobile or Kevin Durant who's who's really mobile and things of that nature then they won't be successful in the sport because just as much as you can dominate inside um you got to Get right back out because the change of possession after you score the other team has a chance you just know check up it's no stop and play it's a get it quick out and go so if you're if your big is not really mobile then you know that can really hurt you
2: because i felt like i was watching like everybody look like a point guard to me in terms um, yeah. of how they were built
0: yeah you have to have a, a different type of skill set to play through x3 you know you'll see a lot of bigs traditionally dribbling so you'll see a six eight six six, and who can really shoot the basketball and things of that nature. It's all about your skill set. You know what I mean? Not every not everybody is built to play 3x3. And, you know, a lot of people get it confused with three-on-three, three, like you're just in a park and you're just playing, and it's just traditional. now. it's not. You know what I mean? So it's a, a different step out. You know what I mean? You got to, like I said, you got to think on your feet. You got to have great IQ, you know what I mean? Because if you're not, and you have to have great chemistry with your team because if you don't, like I said, it could really hurt you in the long run.
2: Would you say there's more? There's certainly a lot more speed, but and but it's a different kind of speed because you're not doing full court breakaways. It's this more constant speed.
0: Exactly. That's so it's happening. Just, yeah, it's con- like I said, it's constant motion. So you just gotta move, and you know, just make sure you're on your job. And like I said, you can get tired and stand there in the corner, but like I said, it's not gonna help you at all when you're playing the sport. You know what I mean? And it's not gonna help your team. So it's constant motion.
1: Yeah, and when you've got. The ball. It, Allison and I were talking a little bit about the different kinds of strategies you use because it it all, almost looks man to man, and sometimes it seems like when there's a drive going on, the person who started with the ball kind of keeps the ball, and the other two kind of keep the other guys out of the way so you can get to the basket.
0: Yeah, most like I, like I said, every every team has a every team has their own strategy. You know what I mean? Like you know, some people can you know you can get out the way and clear it out but you know that person dribbling, you know, they can get pretty tired. So you, you might want to give them an outlet. So like I said, it's a little it's a lot of different strategies that a lot of different teams use in order to be successful. But I promise you, you cannot just be dribbling out there for the for the whole 10 minutes and think, oh, all right, that person is gonna do it because I promise you it's not that way you get tired really, really fast. So like I said
2: with the twelve second shot clock, it didn't seem like there was a lot of setup. You know, on five on five. I mean, we're always going to keep comparing it to five on five because that's certainly what we're more yeah. used to and what Perhaps. most people are used to. Right. There's kind of you're dribbling and people set up. You know, you'll have a zone, you'll have a a man a man to man. But this just seemed like we're constantly just playing and not much set up.
0: Yeah, it's not, like I said, once you once you put the ball in the basket, the other team, is their job is to get it out. As You have to go take it back behind the um, two-point line. And once you take it out behind the two-point line and clear it, it's it's all up to you. You know what I mean? Sometimes you do it fast, you can do a quick hitter, and they can throw it right back to you. If I, if I take the ball from under the net and throw it out to the two-point line and they want to throw it back, they can do that. You know what I mean? If I want to dribble out, that's a whole of different scenario. Like I said, there's a whole bunch of different – Eccentric plays that you can run in order to be successful.
2: So you brought up so baskets are one point, and there is a two point outside line.
0: Yes. So, so which? So on so five. So on five one five, which are, since the game is only the twenty one, your traditional three point line is your two point line, and your two pointers. And five one five is a one point. Is one point.
1: When you talked about bringing the ball, uh, once a basket scored, and you have to bring the ball back behind the two yeah, point clear line. It. Yeah, cl- oh, clear it. Ah, uh, thank you, but like the other team has to hand you the ball, right? To start the
0: no, that's that's just a, that's just to start the game and dead balls. You know, what I mean, when you when you when the whistle is blown and it stopped, then you check it up regularly like that, like your traditional three um three on three. But like I said, after you score a basket, like I said, the other team you don't you, the other team don't touch it. You can't touch it inside the semicircle. And if they choose to throw it out over your head and try, you can actually steal the ball. You know, if they try to throw it behind the two-point line and you just try to lob it over your head, you can steal it. But if the person is under the basket in that semi-circle area, if if you recall, you know, where the charge area is in 5-on-5, five five, you can't touch them. Like, you can't reach in and smack the ball away. But if they throw it anywhere out, you can steal it and you can play between them. But no matter if it's a steal or anything, you have to clear it behind the two-point line.
2: So speaking of that, a lot of the fouls looked very similar to 5-on-5. Five five.
0: You think and- so? I think I get tackled more more than uh, I think I get tackled <laughs> okay, so the average <laughs> I say
2: similar in the sense of there's charging, there's you know uh, tripping, there's you know kind of all these similar calls, though it w- it definitely was more aggressive.
0: Yes, yeah, so definitely. Yes, yeah, definitely more of an aggressive game, and you know some things are not your traditional fouls. You know you can head fake and throw your body. You know you see James Harden and Steph Curry and those guys do that, do that type of thing, head fake and jumping. Um, we don't really get those calls in in three x three. So you know it's just like you say, you just gotta adjust your game, and you know hopefully you get a, a ref that that feels sympathetic to you, that you're not in the headlock or anything like that, or not being. Hitting you with a WWE move, and you can get a call, and it goes in your favor. So, you know.
2: are there additional fouls in three x three that you do not see in in five on five?
0: Well, the the foul difference is a little is a, is a little different. So, if you're comparing it to the NBA, you know when you get in five fouls, you're in a bonus. So, in three x three, since it's such a fast-paced game, and you know you get tired real fast, and people you know arm grab and do things of that nature. This you get um, seven fouls. If you're getting seven fouls, you get two free throws. You know what I mean. And then if you get into the bonus, if you get ten fouls, you get two free throws and you get ball back and you get the ball back. So that's um you know the the only real difference between that and like shooting fouls is still one shot unless you're shooting behind the two point arc. And of course that's two that's two shots. But any other common foul is just one shot. And like I said, if you're getting the bone, the bonus is seven. And you get two, sh- and you get two free throws. Anytime you get fouled after that, once you make it to ten, the whole free throw line clears because you get two free throws and you get the ball back.
1: Do games often get to ten fouls?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah very much so. Very much so. Like I said, it's it's such a fast paced game, and you get so tired and fatigue kicks in. You know, sometimes you just need to grab somebody because your man is driving by you, and you don't want him to take that layup to end the game or. Yeah, you know, your team is down or, you know what I mean? It, it, you, you'll you be surprised. If you're really in tune to the game, you'll see a lot of teams get to 10. You're real lucky if you stay out of 10, you know what I mean? Because like I said, you get tripped. And like I said, there's just so much constant motion and confusion. So that's why chemistry plays a, a great role in it.
2: Yeah, I noticed that in in watching some of the games. It seemed like it was very hard to have a star player carry the team. It very much had to be... Equality is not the word I'm looking for, but kind of a balanced system. Yeah,
0: it varies. Like, you know, of course you have um, your players who, you know, can really score the basketball. So it's important for the people who's not really the scorer and the mean option to, you know, insert themselves. So if they don't, then, you know what I mean? uh people could double team and you know it could get like I said the game can get real physical from time to time so you know you got to pick those spots and you got to know when uh when you're setting picks to roll or you know slip certain screens and things of that nature because like I said it's a little more contact sport than than um your average game so you know th- that that's very important
2: well there's less room
0: yeah you only have a court but you would you would think you would think it's less room, but you know it's a it's a it's kind of a big when especially when you're running back and forth and you know just getting back to change of direction so many different times. So trust me, you you get real fatigued. Uh, oh, I, I, I would challenge stopped. y'all. To, I want to challenge y'all to get out there and, and see what y'all got. You know that that would be really good. <laughs> I got nothing.
1: <laughs> Let's just start there. I trust me, I got nothing. I, I might be able to get a basket in the my next door neighbor's little five year olds
0: basketball <laughs> I sometimes be, sometimes it takes that. I practice on my on my one year old's room sometimes. So you know sometimes it takes that, especially during quarantine. So you know like like
2: basically Spud Webb would tower over me. Let's just <laughs> let's just put this in context as to to where I mean for me to get the ball into the basket is is a Herculean
0: heave. Gotcha. It's I, got just, <laughs> I I, I believe in you I believe in you. I believe in you <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. I have to, we're going to go on the height thing because I was looking at players all over the league and, and there's one picture of you and your team somewhere that I saw that it was basically your head and everybody else's kind of torso and maybe up to their neck.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I get that a lot. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So, but is that an advantage because you're smaller and you can get under people or, or get fouled more?
0: No, nah, I don't get I don't get any fouls, you know, so you uh, we gotta be we gotta you gotta call a federation and, and talk about that, right? they, they call <laughs> you cause you're uh, like in their way, I don't uh, I, I think so I think what my 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 sister, like I said, it's a, it's a um a lot a lot more skill, a lot more skill than anything, you know what I mean, And you know, just being just preparing myself, you know what I mean, I, I know I'm the littlest one of the littlest people on a tour, so you know, just preparing myself for certain things, you know, some people try to take advantage. You know, just my height and things that nature. So, you know, like any other great little guard, you know, you just gotta um, perspire and you know make sure you're on your A game. So, there's, you don't you don't create a disadvantage.
2: Okay, so speed, endurance,
0: and IQ is very important. IQ
2: that's Mm -hmm. the that's the key to being good for
1: three x three. Yes. Okay, so we talked to some sailors last week and. One of them, their heart rate gets up into like 180 for a while. What <sighs> when you're talking about speed and going hard on for ten minutes, like what does your heart rate get into?
0: So this is um, I don't I can't tell you what exactly what my heart rate get into, but this is a funny story. Um, like actually right now I'm in training camp, so you know we had to get clear. We had to go through all these medical clearances and things of that nature. So when I went to the doctor and um, the first doctor I went to, he wouldn't clear me because he was like you know your heart rate is kind of slow you know what i mean so i'm like okay like uh, i thought that was a good thing so when i so he immediately sent me to the emergency room like something was wrong so i was you know i, I got nervous you know like this is this is my job here like you know and i'm real scared that you're stopping me so when i went to the emergency room he's like no those people overreacting that just means you're in you're in good shape you know what i mean your heart rate's slow you're an active athlete so you know things of that nature so i had to go through like an extra Longer two hour process, sat in the emergency room and stuff like that during COVID, and this is like two weeks ago. So, you know, it was pretty I was scared at first, but then after, you know, I, I felt pretty good. So, you know, I felt like I was in, in great shape and things like that. Nature. But I still get tired because, like I said, it's a real intense game. But I can't tell you what my heart rate is, but I, I know it's it, they said it's pretty good because I I can slow down the, my my heart um my heartbeat rhythm a little bit. So, you know, that's the good thing about that. They said
1: that's so interesting. IQ, talk to us about why that is so essential.
0: You got you, like I say, you have to think on the fly. You know what I mean? If you're not thinking on the fly, that's comes in any job. You know, you got some. Sometimes, uh, sometimes people give you X's and you need to throw an O out. You know what I mean? So it's it's very important to adapt to your to your situation. You know what I mean? Like most of the time, I have two people running at me. You know what I mean? Just because they think I'm so short, I'ma lob the ball over their head. So you know, I got these six eight six ten guys just jumping up in the air thinking I'm a pass or a simple head fake and you know a bounce pass and you know and my team gets gets that advantage out of that because they think like if they jump as high as they can, then they can deflect the pass or steal a pass or things of that nature. So, you know, it's pretty important just to have you know a decent IQ knowing how to backdoor cut and and slip certain screens and, you know, when the screen and roll and just these different, you know, different aspects, you know, when to head fake and go by somebody, you know, how to use a screen and all these are different components of 3x3 to make you successful. You know what I mean? You got to have a whole different arsenal. You can't just do one thing great in 3x3 and just think you're going to be successful. You have to have a, a whole arsenal um, in your repertoire in order to be successful and to be, you know, a top player.
2: So, because the game is so fast and you don't have the same you know jump balls and timeouts and and that you do on five on five, how do you communicate with the other two guys on the court when you do have to change it up when your game plan doesn't work when you get out there against who you're playing?
0: A lot of practice, honestly. you know what I mean, you you here with your team, and no it's only four players, so you know you just a lot of different reps you just get in and And like I said, sometimes it's dead balls and sometimes you can talk it through, sometimes you be so tired, you can't say much, you know what I mean? So you got one play, you just say that one play that everybody knows and, you know, you just run it through there and just create different actions and things of that nature. You know, it's it's not your traditional basketball team when you have 15 players. So, you know, 15 players, you got to spend more time on certain things. So it's 3x3 and it's only four players. So your actions and only three on the court. So different actions and things of that nature. You can, um, you know, it's kind of easy to, you know, learn if you're if you're willing to.
2: As you're talking about it, I'm reminded of we read a book about rowing, and the communication and the teamwork among rowers. It feels very similar to what you're more similar than other team sports,
0: because. I, I, I wouldn't know because I can't swim. So, you know, I, I I look from afar. (laughs) But just the idea
2: that it's the same four people kind of in the boat, all driving in the same direction Mm -hmm. and they really have to be in rhythm Mm
0: -hmm.
2: in a way that a bigger team, not that they don't have to be in rhythm, but because there's so many pulling this guy in and this guy for this play, that's, that's not three X three.
0: Yeah. It's not, like I said, it's, it's, can be eccentric. Like I said, it's a whole bunch of different components that can make you successful. You know, everybody's trying to, uh, you know, trying to find the right solution to the right method to be successful. But, you know, there's a few and, you know, you learn, you learn from different people and learn from different sets and it's all about your personnel as well. It's still basketball at the end of the day. You know, if you, you have your people that can really shoot, you have some people that can, kind of shoot, you have your people who's dunkers, you have your people who's just rebounders and things of that nature. So, you know, it's a, it's a, a, could be a healthy mixture of a a lot of different things in order to be successful. You know, you don't always have to do, be that person to do everything great, but for the most part, you have to do your job really, really well. And you have to know how to do more than just one thing.
2: So what is your favorite thing? You know, the one thing Reverend says, oh, if we have Dom on our team, we never have to worry about what?
0: Uh, I'm going to say scoring. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a I'm, I'm a scorer. I can put the ball in the basket, but I also love to pass. You know what I mean? So everybody knows that I can score the basketball. So I have a whole bunch of different people like, or, you know, tall people and stronger people, they they look and i like, you know, I'm trying to do this and, you know, to limit that type of motion. So, you know, I, I'm a great passer. Um, I'm a great scorer. I have, like I said, I have a great feel for the game. So just doing a whole bunch of different things. I don't think I do Just one thing, great, but I do a lot of different things in order to be successful. And I think that's what makes my game so unique.
1: One of the things when I was watching some games is that there are times where teammates are passing the ball, but it's like they feel that their teammate is where the ball needs to go.
0: It's chemistry, a lot of chemistry.
1: How do you build that?
0: A lot of reps, you know, you got to get a lot of different reps. And of course, like I said, it's... If if somebody's like trailing you out on a certain play, you know what I mean, and you, and you read that, you know what I mean. So your defender is is behind is behind you, and somebody's guarding me. You know, it's easy just to throw a behind the back pass. You know what I mean. There's, as long as my teammate follows that trail and he sees how that person is playing him, you know, it's easy to throw a little pass and things of that nature. It's not like you got an extra five people behind you helping. You know what I mean. It's me and you on this side, so if me and you on this side, and the other person, the other two people is on this side. You know, it kind of makes it a little easier to. You know, man, maneuver and make those type of passes and things like that.
2: So the team that went to the Pan Am Games, how long were you playing together as four?
0: Five days. <laughs>
1: how did you build that chemistry? Because you won the gold.
0: It was it was a really rough start. You know, it was a really rough start. Um, we lost to. Uh, I think we finished in a pool. I think two. Uh, I want to say uh, we we did okay in the pool. Like we lost like around two, like two games. We won three and I think lost two or either won two and lost three. Can't really remember. But, um, you know, it was really rough, you know what I mean? Because we lost a lot of close games because we didn't play together. and We were playing against guys who played together a lot and the Federation had them. You know what I mean? So we had two guys from the G League and me and Kareem, we played on two different teams on a tour. So, you know, it was just, uh, it was a real unique setup. So, you know, we had to learn really, really fast and it didn't start off good. We won our first game, and I think we dropped our, our last uh, next two games after that. Then one, then one, one. So it was like it was a kind of a rough situation, you know what I mean? But you know, we had that will. You know, we understood that we were doing something bigger than ourselves and representing our country. So that night after um, just the preliminary rounds. You know, we just went in, we watched a whole bunch of tape and we just talked and it was like, we all played a game of basketball, you know what I mean? So we got to do what was were strong and it showed because every different person and every different game, they had a they had a a different game. So it wasn't just one person that was just leading the team, you know what I mean? Everybody in every different game had a spark in which they helped catapult us to that gold medal.
2: Okay. So leading into Tokyo, I'm hoping it's going to be more than five days going into any of these qualifying tournaments
0: oh for certain we uh, see right now right now we're in training camp we just we just finished our quarantine process so this was day one of our first of our first um day of training camp so it's pretty good we'll be out here for about a week and about a week and some change and then you know we have another training camp next month and like i said we know some we know a lot of the guys and we play a, a lot of the guys so you know we just gelling and you know as time goes on we're going to get together more frequently and things of that nature. We definitely learned from that experience. And, you know, with the, um, you know, the COVID restrictions and things of that nature, it was kind of hard to get everyone together. But, you know, now everything is kind of, you know, easing up a little bit. And, you know, with the protocols that's put in place to keep everybody safe. So just doing those different things. And, you know, first we have to go to Austria. And, you know, we're real confident in, in what we have to do. But, you know, we're we going to that qualifying tournament to make sure that, we put our team into the Olympics, put our country into the Olympics. So, you know, that's our main focus and things of that nature. So that's. So
2: will the, the four that compete at the qualifying tournaments be the four in Tokyo if and when you qualify?
0: God willing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that. That's the that's, plan. That's, Obviously, that's, that's, things that's, can
2: happen with injuries. That's not up and- to us.
0: I, I know okay. what I, I know what's for. We want to be there, but you know we still have to. We still have a committee that's you know has his hands on and you know to looking and you know we always adjusting. You know, what I mean, like I said, this is is bigger than us. You know, what I mean, we're just trying to be the be the best versions of ourselves to come to all come together and and do well for our country. So you know we have a we have a great pool of players and things of that nature. So you know with that we just putting the faith behind us and making sure we we handle what we need to handle right now and. Do the things we can control, and then what's next after that? We'll figure that out.
2: So Jill and I were talking yesterday about how many countries are being a part of the qualifiers, mm-hmm. and there's only eight teams that are going to be no, in Tokyo.
0: It's eighteen. It's eight teams in the Olympics, in the Olympics, right. and then for the qualifying tournament, there's twenty different teams.
2: Right. So that that's a lot of not qualifying. Yes. So what countries? Obviously, besides the U.S., do we want to be paying attention to?
0: Um, honestly, I don't want to sleep on on any competition. <laughs> I mean, so uh, you know, but you know, um, you know, as far as being on a tour, who I'm familiar with um, regularly, of course, Lithuania is a good team. Uh, Latvia is a good is is a good team that we see normally on the tour. Canada is, is a good team on a tour. I
1: see. Allison said that very diplomatically because I would have said, what's up with Serbia, man?
0: Uh, they, they they, actually already um, – there's four, team, it. four teams already that already qualify for the United and that's Serbia, Russia, China, and Japan.
1: Right, because the, the one of the interesting things about 3x3 is that in the rankings, you can be individually ranked, mm-hmm. and you're the highest U.S.-ranked player, and you're in the top 10 in the world but there's a lot of serbians in that top 10 as well
0: yeah um they like with with the points there's a lot of different tournaments that the serbians played they played a little more in a cup in a few more tournaments than us so you know it's uh so yeah so yeah with that they, they um gain more points and, and things like that so but not taken away from their talent they're very good they're very good teams and stuff like that but you know, some people were um, blessed with more, blessed with more tournaments than us. You know, one or two tournaments can catapult you to that higher ranking and stuff like that. And it's also about how you win too. Okay, what sense. does that mean? On a on a world tour, there's um, the further you get, like you know, to first place or you know, second place, third place. So, say if you have three different tournaments and you come in second place, you know, of, of course, your points are going to go high. Your points, your point value rankings go high if you come second place, first place. But if you go to a tournament and you come in 10th place, then of course, your, your points are, you're not really getting that much points because there's other clearly 10 other teams ahead of you.
2: I want to talk a little bit about how you got into 3X3 because you started as a traditional full court five on five player. So yeah. how did you first come across 3X3 and decide this was the avenue you wanted to take?
0: honestly um fell in my lap and uh kind of like a luck you know what i mean i I say now because i'm happy with every path i took um so you know after my first season playing overseas i came back to new york and played in um a a tournament like a street ball tournament ended up getting elbowed in the face and you know had to restructure like my teeth and things that nature had a tooth go in my mouth and up in my nose so you know actually one day coming out the dentist um I was, you know, I, I live in Harlem, so it was kind of late. So kind of the dentist, I was one of the last people and the dentist is kind of on a, on a back block and on the back block, there was a few rats kind of like, you know, like running. So, you know, I, of course me, I'm scared. So I kind of like hopped over a pole and there was like a construction, there was like construction a little bit, like, you know, like a, a gated, like a gate that, w- that wasn't properly secured on the ground. And I came down and broke my foot. So after I broke my foot, you know, um, it was kind of hard to, like, get back overseas and things like that because every overseas team want to know how you – how you, what would happen and things like that. So, uh, you know, after my, my deals, of course, my, my agent wasn't as good as he once was. You know, he left me alone and saw other people since I was hurt. And when I was ready to go again, uh, agent then kind of replied back. So after that, I ended up playing for the Globe Charters for a year. And after I played with the Globetrotters, you know, it just, I, I wanted more competitive basketball. So, you know, um, my manager right now, um, Jess, who's called our momager, that handles everything and does a thing for us, she um, she um was actually hosting like a tournament. She was like, yo, you should come do this three on three tournament. And I'm like, ah, you know, I was so big in five on five. And it was the summertime. In the summertime, you get paid to play five on five in these different street ball tournaments and stuff like that. So one day it started raining. And the five-on-five five game with Kansas. So I'm like, hey, I wanted to play basketball, so I just went to her tournament. We end up um, finishing, I want to say, second in her tournament. And when we finished second in her tournament, it gave us a birth to. Matter of fact, we finished first. We won the tournament, and we end up going to Mexico, which was our first World Tour Master. And after we went to that first World Tour Master, I was just fell in love with it. But of course, it wasn't the money it was now. It wasn't the you know, It wasn't as big as it was now. But, you know, I, I really loved it, you know, the chance to go to a different play in different countries. And then I just fell in. And then as the years went on, you know, we played in like one or two events uh, abroad and stuff like that. One time, we played in Abu Dhabi, I think with the Mexico, we got a chance to go to Abu Dhabi and play in a World Tour finale. And I really just fell in love with it after that. You know what I mean? And, you know, at, as the time went on, they presented like allocations and things like that. So we had more opportunities to go abroad and showcase our talents. And, you know, overseas, you know, you stay overseas for eight months, nine months at a time, sometimes 10 months throughout the year. Be away from your family, probably see or probably come back one time throughout that year. But with 3x3, you get to go and play and, you know, play it in 20, 20, 30 different countries in, in one year and come back every weekend and still Come back, see my family, see my people, and just experience different cultures. You know what I mean, and just see different people because the fans are just like the just like the games. The um, fans are so intense, and they love the game, and they're so into it. And you know, I had a we went to Abu Dhabi and the Philip and just the Filipino fans and things of that nature it was. It was great. You know what I mean, just seeing that and just embracing that. So you know, every country I kind of went to, you know, the, you just it was just a different culture shock for me and you know, some of my teammates like that. So that's kinda how I got into three X three and just fell in love with it ever since.
1: So here we I don't think we hear about it as much, but you did that Red Bull tour last summer, right? Yes. How was that? And and trying to teach America what this game is all about.
0: So Red Bull for um since 2019 has partnered with um USA basketball just to find talent throughout the throughout the United States and you know, they do a, a whole host of events in, in different countries. I mean, different states in Atlanta and L.A. and Chicago and Philly. You know what I mean? So just going to those different tournaments, you know, you get invited to those different tournaments and playing in that just to build awareness here in the States. You know what I mean? That was the main thing, just build awareness about the 3x3 game because in Europe it's so big. You know what I mean? In Europe it's kind of it's better, better than 5-on-5. You know what I mean? So just under, just gaining an understanding of the game and, you know, just throwing different talent out there and, you know, even with the college players and things like that. So it was pretty, it was pretty cool just to um, see Red Bull and USA basketball partner up just to give people opportunities. And it also gave us opportunity to play because in Europe it's like a year round sport over there, you know what I mean? So they'll play in different tournaments that we don't want to pay $1,300 flights to go play in. And before a win uh, 10,000, you know what I mean? You basically spent what you came, even if you win. That's if you win the tournament because, you know, it's, it's based on prize money and things like that. So we didn't really want to do that. So, you know, just USA basketball, just giving and Red Bull, just giving everybody, just giving the, the Americans a chance just to participate in the game and just learn more about it because, as I said, you get better through playing, you know what I mean? And just playing against different people and learning different things. So, you know, just that whole aspect and, just made it made it that much easier for us to go over and be competitive over over in Europe, in Asia and things like that.
2: One of the things that I noticed just watching Three X Three, it's not a hard game to just watch. Like if you don't know anything about yeah. the game, you can you get into it not for sure it's like it's not hard to understand the ba- The ball needs to go in the basket everything <laughs> else is 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 almost nuanced because mm-hmm. it is so fast and it's like okay people are running it's it, it gets you very yes, quickly
0: it, it definitely gra- and that's what it's meant for you know it, it grasps your attention and you know i mean like i said i've seen a whole bunch of people that said the same exact thing that you said you know everybody that watch they want to know like you know how's this and how do i get involved and um you know how can i watch more and how can i learn more and things like that and you see, and it's, it's an Olympic sport now, so that is a testament to you know how great how great of a sport it really is.
1: So, uh, being a globetrotter, I always think of amazing ball handling skills. Yes. Does that help you be a better three x three player because you do have to be so agile?
0: Um Yes, for certain. Like I said, it's a lot of constant motion, constant movements, and you know you want to keep people thinking on their feet. So yeah, I want to say just you know just my knack for just you know went from the streets to the olympics so just me just playing you know different street ball times and growing up you know this is my culture i grew up i grew up in new york city and you know there's a playground every other block so just getting after it like that and you know hooping and being competitive is you know that's that's just in my nature
1: i forgot to talk about the ball is different as well Yes.
0: yes it is it's a men's weight but a female size, you know what I mean? Like I said, since it's so fast and so uh, so agile, you know what I mean? And of course the colors are different, you know what I mean? So that also grabs people's attention. And like the grip is, a, is a, just a, a slight touch different because we play on a sports court. You know what I mean it's different always like uh, it's, I kind of compare it to if you've ever been to like a state park or anything like that and how you get into the pool and the showers and things like that that's kind of the courts we play on a little bit It's kind of you know because you sweat at so many different games throughout the day so you sweat and if you play a game on hardwood and everybody's sweating and you got Ten, uh, twenty different games throughout that day, and you're playing on hardwood. Of course, people' sweat is getting on the floor and things like that, so you could slip, hurt yourself, and things of that nature. So we kind of play like on a different on on a sports court. It's it's called. So it's kind of like almost like a rubber mat to make it a little easier for you to understand. It's like a rubber mat, like if you was to get in the shower a little bit with like holes in it, like if you was getting to a public shower, you know how you know let the spongy. water through. Yeah, not, not not spongy, but uh. It actually kinda hurts. It it hurt it hurted before, but you know, it's it's better now, you know what I mean? Through some through some um good details and stuff like that, it, it got a little better. Got a little easier for you to maneuver and stuff on. Do you use different shoes? Well me, yeah, you use different shoes, but you know, I think one one is fine. Like I said, it it got the floor got way better and it's it's easier. I think it's I think it's a little easier that way.
2: Do you know what the women's ball is?
0: Then it's, is it- the, the the women's ball is the same? Okay. Uh, for three x three wise, the women's ball is the same. Okay. And like I said, there's so many fast motions, and of course, there's you want the ball to go in. You know what I mean? If when you're playing the game, so it's it's a men's weight. It's not really that much of a big difference, but it's a little smaller. You know, if, like I said, I got I don't really have big hands, so it's a little easier. I might could palm the ball sometimes a little bit easier. You know what I mean? So then, then I love when athletes motion. say things
2: like I don't have big hands. Right? <laughs> I'm like, you could still palm my head. <laughs> we always athletes are like oh i can't run that fast oh i'm one of the slower people i'm like what are you
0: you're
2: you're elite level athlete people <laughs> stop being so humble
0: no it's the truth it's honestly the truth i I can't palm a regular basketball so i trust me it comes in handy a little bit even though i don't dump you know it just comes in handy makes me feel better more of a psyche thing yes <laughs>
1: What are other things that viewers can look out for, or what should they, what things they can notice to know that a game is going well besides a score, but you're playing well or struggling, or there's little nuances of the rules that they may not understand?
0: Pretty much, you'll know. Like I said, it's, it's three X three, but it's still basketball. You know what I mean? Like you said, you, you get excitement. Cause there's some, like I said, there's so many different fast motions and movements and different and different cuts that, you know, some people are not accustomed to. Some people are not ready for, you know what I mean? You think one thing, somebody's going back door, then you got your dunk. You got um. it's more room. It's less people. So, you know, you got more room to throw some crazy passes and yeah, it's easier for your teammate to catch it too, as well, because it's not so much help on the floor. So, you know, just getting in to, in tune with that, I think is is really big. You know, I mean, it's it's a really exciting game, and you know, it's kind of hard for you know people not to gravitate to it. But once you like sit down and actually watch a few games, and you'll and you'll see. You know, I think I think through time, you know, you, you'll you'll catch on to the games like you mentioned to me before, how you watched the game in, in and and you know how how it grabs your attention, like how did you come back from that with so little time? You know, you don't really know. You just out there playing, and you know, you just luck luck of bounces and things of that nature and, you know, just communication as well. You know, that's a great game to reference if you need to, you know, just get in tune with it. And it's a whole bunch of different games like that. It's it's really high intense, just actions and movements and, you know, just game, just kind just competing, you know, you got to compete, you know what I mean? So you always see 3x3 teams always competing because like I said, it's kind of hard not to.
2: How does the trash talk compare?
0: Oh, yeah, we talk a lot. You know what I mean? Like I said, a lot of people, uh, you know, they try to grab, you know, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a little different than 5-on-5. Five five. You can, you know, grab a little bit more, you know, screen set a little more and, you know, you have people that think they're just playing great defense and, you know, until you hit them with, hit, hit them with some sauce and then then they, you know, fall back a little bit. You know what I mean? So, the trash talking can definitely get intense and, of course, you see a lot of the same teams that you play against So. You know the the announcers are pretty good. The announcers are pretty good, and they spice things up. And we also have like top tens and things of that of nature so people always, you know, aiming to get on a top ten and be seen and things like that. So a lot of unique plays happen. You know what I mean? So it's it's pretty dope.
1: Do you know how to trash talk in different languages?
0: Um, no, I do not. <laughs> I, I, think I do this not. this should be part I, of I, training I, camp. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to learn because you know, yeah, you know, we, like I said, we play a lot of teams abroad, and they would be saying some things, and I would be want to know. They all can speak English, but you know, every, every for the most part, everybody can speak English, but they tend to talk in in different languages when we're around. So you know, I, I'm I'm trying to learn a couple of different languages because I got some things I want to say to some people.
1: I mean, guess <laughs> Duolingo isn't very helpful.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, <it's> not really. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think I think you'd need a native to learn how to say you know yo mama in some other language.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've been working. You know, I, I've I've learned I've learned a few things that I won't that I won't say here. You know, no, we'll t- we'll t- we'll talk about that later.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Dominique. You can follow Dominique on social at djones Five on Instagram, and he's Dominique Jones on Facebook. We will have links to those in the show notes. Team USA will compete at the Olympic qualifying tournament in Graz, Austria at the end of May for one of three available spots for Tokyo 2020. I, I am so nervous about this. I can't tell you how nervous I am f- for him and for Team USA. I know
2: because it feels just so stacked against them, mm-hmm. just numbers-wise. Not act- I mean, Team USA obviously is very good at this, but just mm-hmm.
1: the numbers don't, are not I know. favorable. I know. And it's 10 minute games. Anything can happen. You know, the thing that's amazing
2: to me about 3x3 is that the team sports that are in the Olympics, each game, you know, when we're talking about soccer or hockey or they're very long.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: and there's so many teams involved that it just feels like I can't possibly keep up with the soccer tournament that's happening at the Olympics. Right. Unless that's all you cared about. Unless that's it. That's, you know, that takes up your whole brain. Whereas this, I can get the excitement of a team tournament, Mm -hmm. but I can still watch other things that day.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm really excited about this.
2: Welcome to Shook
1: Yes, it's time to check in with our past guests who are members of Team Keep the Flame Alive. So they are citizens of our podcast country, Shukla uh, First up, at the Katara Beach Volleyball Club in Doha, Kelly Clace and Sarah Sponsel made it to the quarterfinals before being knocked out. They are still the third-ranked team in the provisional Olympic rankings for beach volleyball, but they are closing the gap to the second ranked team don't know what's going to happen.
2: Oh, all this qualifying stuff now is so stressful.
1: It is because there's another team behind Kelly and Sarah who are also kind of gunning for the place. So there's four really well-ranked U S teams, but you know, the, the, uh, Carrie Walsh Jennings and Brooke sweat are ahead of Kelly and Sarah. So our show plus closed the gap between them. But they uh the team behind Kelly and Sarah made it to the semifinals, whereas Kelly and Sarah made it to the quarterfinals. So of course So they, they closed got, the gap. Yeah, on exactly. Them. Yeah. It's
2: a horse race, that's yeah, for sure. I know.
1: I know. I will have to keep an eye on how many more opportunities are left for them to score points.
2: Uh Decathlete Jordan Gray was featured on the website, the Atlanta one hundred. We'll a link to that in the show notes.
1: Chloe Kim won the world champs in the snowboard half pipe again.
2: (laughs) Again. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. When you have somebody like a a Chloe Kim, a Simone Biles, a Michael Phelps, we as fans get complacent about Mm -hmm. them winning things and being amazing. And yet the idea that they are this, it's almost like we can only recognize the dominance later. Right. You know, and Chloe Kim is so young and yet, so, I mean, she's in that category of the Phelps and Biles for her mm-hmm. sport. It's mm-hmm. depending on how long she decides, because she did take a year off and deciding how, how long she wants to do this.
1: That's good. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point.
2: In the second week of competition at Nova Mesto, biathlete Claire Egan placed 43rd in the sprint, 42nd in the pursuit, and 6th in the four-person mixed relay She's ranked 36th in the world with one week of competition left in the season.
1: Good luck, Claire. All right. As promised last week, we have our report on the IOC session. This is basically the IOC's annual meeting, which they have once or twice a year. But it's when all the IOC members get together and they hear reports on what's going on in the IOC And you know what? This was like my Tokyo test event. I figured it out by the end of the week because it was long.
2: So this is, Jill basically is that kid who went to class, took the notes and shared them with everybody else. She saved us from (laughs) going to the really boring lecture.
1: (laughs) Big news. T-Buck got a haircut. He looked very nice for the session. What I loved about this is, is as we keep watching these, I understand the IOC a little bit more. So every report or section had a Q&A opportunity or what they called interventions, which was, and it was basically all interventions because nobody is asking questions. They all have to state something (laughs) because I bet it's rude. Like if somebody asked a question, you went, oh, they're from North America, aren't they? Because It was basically phrasing what they wanted to say in a question, but doing it in a statement and kind of putting a little flowery before and after it, like, oh, I really appreciate your report, but oh, I would like to see this, you know, instead of saying, hey, what have you thought about doing this, which is what we would do in America?
2: Well, it really brings it home how one huge the IOC is and how bureaucratic it is. And it reminds us that, obviously, the United States is not the center of the IOC by any stretch of the imagination. And just how this corporation, this huge multinational, has to function. And yet it's putting on this event that comes into our homes every, you know, every four years, every two years. It's this thing that's a part of our daily lives in a way and yet is so far from us.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting and how it just it kind of keeps plugging away and and how the importance that the Olympics has as an event and as to, to people in the world, because we keep getting more and more news about, oh, countries should boycott Beijing. But as the IOC likes to say, you know, we're not a government organization like we're a sporting event people why why you harshen on our groove? I would like to see T-Bock translate harshen on our groove in diplomatic speak. <laughs> He's such
2: a brilliant diplomat that we noticed and when he was talking about weightlifting a couple of news conferences ago, how when he lost his temper, we were really struck by it. Yes. And how when he gets up there in front of the press, he knows he has to present an image of mm-hmm. this organization. Mm-hmm. So when... Dad loses his temper. You you better go to your chores.
1: <laughs> so uh, the big thing on day one was his reelection. And so he uh, got elected. Pretty much everybody voted for him. There was a, f- a few people abstained and one no vote, which, you know, as somebody who's stood election within an organization before, I appreciate no votes.
2: You don't want everybody to be in a yes man or a wee man. <laughs> So, oui,
1: the funny thing is, he, he said in his little re-election speech, he's like, eight years ago, you promised me interesting times. It's like, I don't know if you had a present, a premonition of how interesting they would be. But he's been preaching on this fact of the IOC needs to change or be changed. And I think that's why he's really pushed through a lot of stuff with this Agenda 2020 and the Agenda 2020 plus five. And it's also interesting to see because he's forcing a slow moving organization to change and from the outside when we when when we read other journalists write about this there's some like hesitation like oh he's really pushing his agenda through he's really doing this he's you know there's no transparency stuff is just getting pushed through the system blah 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 and it's kind of like you can't win you can't make everybody happy with what you do but i think box is a pretty good leader for this time and then this change or be changed motto is very true because the IOC has seen you know, cities drop out of wanting to host right and left. And they, they he's gotten the message and is making sure the rest of the membership gets the message too. So there was a long line of people congratulating him. And, As you would expect. Right. But the best one was Anita DeFrance who went last. And she said, oh, you know, we both fought against the boycott in 1980. And he brought the athlete's voice to the IOC in Baden-Baden. And that was the start of the Athletes Commission. And how she raved about how he brought the concept of good governance to the IOC. And Bach started to cry.
2: It was amazing. You know, Anita DeFrance from the United States was on the 1980 Olympic team. Bach at the time was a West German athlete. Mm-hmm. and she mentioned how they they met and became friends in 1979 and then as she was speaking i realized the connection that they had and that they've had you know for you know they kind of went from being athletes to athlete advocates to members of the IOC on very much the same trajectory mm-hmm. and i'm thinking oh my goodness of course these people are they're probably IOC best friends like you always have your work best friend I think these two are very, very close, and it was a beautiful moment, and the best part about it to me was he wasn't, like, sobbing, he wasn't, there were tears rolling down her eyes. She finishes, and he he starts to say something, and he stops, and he says, give me a minute. It was the best moment of the entire session.
1: The second day, we got reports from the Tokyo Organizing Committee, the Beijing Organizing Committee, and the Paris Organizing Committee, and... Basically, Tokyo, at Tokyo, they said, look, since September, there have been 270 World Champs and World Cups with 30,000 athletes taking part. There's been 200,000 coronavirus tests. No event turned into a super spreader situation. So, that to them was proof that we can organize the Olympics, i.e., stop asking if we're going to have the Games because we've shown throughout all these events that they can happen pretty safely and we can make that possible too. John Coates, who is the uh, chair of the IOC commission that works with the Tokyo organizing committee uh, said that they've got IOC staff on the ground now in Tokyo to help them out. And this is still Japan's got to make the decision on foreign spectators soon, which there's actually going to be a meeting this coming Monday about that. And, uh, he thought John Coates thought that maybe venue capacities may not have to change because of how the vaccine administration is progressing and how the virus cases are going down. So we'll see. The interventions on this were really interesting, though, because it was person after person who who basically inserted the. I'd uh, really like to go to the games. We'd like our families to go. Right. I mean, even the IOC
2: members, if foreign tourists are banned it doesn't matter if you're the princess royal you don't get to go
1: right right so uh you know could you please make the decision later than march 25 about uh foreign spectators
2: because they're hoping yeah because honestly how bad would it look if you ban foreign spectators but then let all the ioc members go
1: yeah it would look horrible i mean i wouldn't be surprised if that happened It would not be a good move, but I would not be surprised if it happened. Right. So, but they did also say like, oh, if you make this decision, you've got to have policies in place with how you're going to refund everything. Just like a lot of advice on, well, you know, make sure you think about this. I'm like, oh yeah, Tokyo hasn't thought about that. (laughs) Not at all. But anyway.
2: Yeah. Like I'm sure anybody on that committee is getting any sleep right now.
1: (laughs) The uh, Olympic Refuge Foundation made a presentation. They said there will be one million people who are refugees who will have access to safe sport by 2024 because they're doing all these different refugee programs. They have 11 programs in seven countries with new ones coming in Colombia and France. Uh, They're working on their Olympic refugee team. None of the refugees have qualified outright in the sports that they have. So they're working with the international federations to figure out how to make it possible for refugees to be in the events. So they'll have the, the refugee team for Tokyo will be at least 20 athletes and there will be representing at least 10 sports. The IOC is their national Olympic committee, basically. So they provide all the testing and they give them media training. The Beijing 2022 report, they said they've gotten 104,000 applications for volunteers. So you can imagine that competition for those volunteer slots are going to be pretty fierce. Uh, They finished building all of the venues. They are making good progress on the village. They plan to have the broadcasting studio done in July. They are also working on metal design, the torch relay, and the opening ceremonies. And they said... The ceremonies and the torch relay are going to be a lot more simple than what we're used to. So that'll they're be gonna, interesting. They're going
2: to go with a cottage court style.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Pairs 2024 reported uh, this will be the first games with the new norm. So just keep the, that's That's something I always try to keep in mind is that Tokyo 2020 is the last. And probably Beijing 2022, although Beijing is like, oh, we gotta, we, we're learning a lesson here. we got to be keep it on the down low just to make sure it's not ostentatious in a time of a pandemic. The, but uh, Tokyo is really last of these big games and build a lot of venues and, and have all of these things. So Paris will be the first ones with a new norm. And it'll be interesting to see how that works on an organizational level. And I bet the country will push back more necessarily than the IOC because IOC memberships, who is used to big grand games, also has to adjust to a new norm. They said they have a balanced budget of 3.9 billion euros and the IOC gave them like 2.5% more money. So thanks, IOC. They said something else. Thanks
2: for the increase in my allowance.
1: Right, they said something else about... Sports being very accessible, and I I kind of missed this because I was tired and I glossed over. But they were, I think they were talking about being close to transportation for pretty much everything. And I was just like, wait, is there a metro stop in Tahiti? That's what I want, you know.
2: Well, is it near the airport? I don't know.
1: I don't. Can you watch surfing
2: from the sky?
1: (laughs) I wonder if they think that because everything they talk about, like oh, we're saving money here and money there, and I'm just like, what about Tahiti? Are they just ignoring it? Until I, I it's... think so. It'll be interesting to see how surfing is in Tokyo and then see how it is in Tahiti and see if the competition is different because of where it's located and then see how much, if, if that's ever broken out, Tahiti costs. And
2: if that really comes to pass, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: at the last minute in a couple of years, will they pull out of that Tahiti Attitude. I
1: don't know. That's an or are they just are,
2: it's sort of like there's there's two ways to look at the fact that they're not talking about it. One, they're kind of keeping it, it on the down low, or two, somebody at the top is thinking, hmm, maybe that's not the best idea.
1: I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it, it'll it'll depend on how. Construction goes. I bet on some of these things because we've gotten word that one of their venues is going to cost more to renovate than they thought. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. There was a big presentation from the future host commission uh, with my new favorite IOC member Kristen Kloster Ozen because she is prepared.
2: She's a good Scandinavian. Oh,
1: man. So the the big news, if you haven't seen it, is that the IOC now has a new process they're not going through a whole a bid procedure again where cities throw their name into the ring and then they have to put together this they have to spend millions of dollars to put together a full bid of how they would put the olympics together and only one of them gets chosen and everybody else loses and has spent a whole lot of money on this so now the deal is if a city is interested in hosting they send a letter to the IOC that says, Hey, we would like to host an Olympic Games or a Youth Olympic Games or something like that. And it gets forwarded to this host commission and they look at they start talking with them. And the the city will start to present plans. And when the IOC thinks that the city is in a pretty decent stage to be considered to host, really, really we're serious about you hosting the games, then they put them into targeted dialogue. And that's when they really break down, here's what your plan is, here we have some recommendations, here are some more things that we need to see from you before we can award the games. And that's Brisbane is in this spot. So we've seen a lot of news about, oh, Brisbane's going to host 2032. And she said, very specifically, this does not mean we are electing a host right now, period. They have just moved to a different stage and... It just so happens that no other city is ready to go to that stage yet. And she said that some a city can move, down, move from targeted dialogue back down to, hey, we're just talking. So it's not necessarily a done deal, but Brisbane's the only one in this position right now. So there have been rumors that the IOC will actually make their decision in their July session before the Tokyo Games because uh, apparently Brisbane has to get a lot of information together and they wanted it fairly quickly. But uh, I'm not sure that they would do that because 2032 is still 11 years out.
2: I can't imagine. I mean, they did that for 24 and 28 because they didn't have any cities that were looking interesting. Like their whole bid process was going to change when they decided to do that double award. And they had two very viable cities. So the thinking was, let's award 28 much earlier than we would have because then we have time to develop this new process.
1: Exactly. And because you had two viable cities and you knew that either one of them could host, why make them spend millions of dollars or euros more to put together another bid and redo all of the work that they did when the IOC is getting nothing but criticism and more and more people, more and more countries, their citizens don't want the games because it costs so much. So why impose
2: it? Right. And that gave the the IOC the time to develop the new process and, in essence, go back to the old process. If Mm -hmm. they find that this is failing in the next, say, year or two, they could turn around and say, you know what? This isn't working. We're going to go do something we used to do. And you still got Two or three years before the traditional seven-year award, mm-hmm. so that twenty-four, twenty-eight. So this idea that they're going to award thirty-two, eleven years ahead of time. Oh, because they awarded twenty-eight so early, is not an equivalency.
1: Right, and it's 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 a totally different time too, in in the world right. because really, twenty seventeen things were, the world was chugging along and things were okay. Once you get to today. Where if they had to award a city today for 2020, because this is the year that they would award 2028, that would have been problematic because nobody would have won of those games. So that is kind of interesting how that played out. But 2032 is just—it's so far away. And, and you would think that, okay, if you have that much time to plan, you can save up money or you can put money in the right places or we can use some of the infrastructure you build ahead of time. But at the same time, it's just the world is going to change so much in 11 years. Kristen, Kristen Kloster-Ausen talked about not having a 2032-2036 double award in the same way because people were asking, like, oh, are we just going to start awarding two games at once now? And she's like, no, because the games are <laughs> – but, but, you know, you're talking 15 years out. That's really, really risky, and your bid gets outdated very quickly. So, right,
2: be- because as we saw with even Rio, the government that they awarded those games to was not the government that was there when the games happened.
1: Right. And there's not going to be many places where you do have that government. So why, why, why force one government's decisions so greatly on another?
2: It, it's an unnecessary risk on the IOC's part to start awarding bids 11, 15 years ahead of time. It does them no good. There's mm-hmm. no benefit mm-hmm. other than they don't have to think about it. But right. then in the end, are they having to think about it more because right. something goes really wrong? And then you have like what we're dealing with with Beijing, all these people threatening to boycott. Why are we awarding games to totalitarian government? So they're just really trading one problem for another mm-hmm. when they don't have to.
1: Right. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I, I like the idea that they don't want to have this giant bid process again. I like the fact that it takes out all the lobbying and that you you don't have all of this potential corruption, which was a huge problem with – that's – you know, the bid process got out of control because of that. I, I've seen in the news that, oh, my goodness, the bids aren't transparent anymore, and we don't know who's talking with – who wants to bid – and I kind of think that because the IOC won't say what cities are interested in bidding, the cities have to say themselves. They can tell the press, oh, we're, we're going to bid for the Olympics. But I think there's concern that, oh, these potent- there there's a city that could have potential and it just gets overlooked because the commission has deemed it not worthy. But I, I think I'm going to give the IOC a little bit of uh, benefit of the doubt here. Because when you look at cities that want to host, like India has talked about hosting and Indonesia has talked about hosting and they've hosted, they've both hosted maybe continental events or Commonwealth Games. I I don't think they're ready for a, a full on summer Olympics like they want to be. And, you know, I think Rio is a very big example of what happens in that kind of case. And it's probably good to say, hey, we want to host a Games, and the IOC can go, oh, okay, let's talk to you about that, and let's have some discussions. Here's what you need. Do you have it? Okay, you don't have Wait, what about hosting a Youth Olympic Games? That might be a good step for you right now. So we'll see what happens with that.
2: I'm hoping this process will move us away from awarding Games to the totalitarian regimes because they could put together the bids. They mm-hmm. could spend whatever money needed to get spent to put those bids together, and then you end up with Sochi, which there was problems mm-hmm. certainly for the LGBT community and and attending those games. Beijing, we've got lots of concerns for from athletes and from governments mm-hmm. and communities
0: for the second may-
2: time. For the second time, right? We we've been through this down. We've been down this road. And so I'm hoping this kind of discussion actually allows cities that couldn't do that first kind of razzle dazzle, flashy bid process, mm-hmm. can do this just because it's a much smaller investment.
1: Right. Or loops back in the Calgary's, who right really they really needed to host the games because they really needed to fix their sliding track that they were using. But needed to be updated. And, you know, their bid fell apart in a referendum and, and that was millions of dollars spent. So you can probably, I, I'm not saying that it doesn't cost millions of dollars to put to get a bid together anymore, but it probably costs less. Well, I'm hoping and, and costs- I think
2: it's probably spent in a different way.
1: Mm-hmm. It's
2: not spent on the razzle dazzle flash. Let's hire all these consultants to put this bid together. I think it's actually spent on finding venues Finding out what things are going to cost. I'm hoping that this is going, like when we look at whoever 2032 is, we're not going to see the billion dollar overrun.
1: Oh, wow. Wouldn't that be?
2: That's what I'm hoping that this is, even though it's less transparent, which I disagree with, I don't think it is less transparent, but that it actually is more honest. I'm looking at you, Milan Cortino. <laughs> Excited about my biscotti, not excited about cost overruns, which we know are just Mm -hmm. piling up.
1: And that's a new norm bid. So go back to that episode to listen to our talks about that. They talked about Olympic solidarity and the interventions on this one were interesting. There are a lot of random interventions in, in this particular category. Uh, Including one from William Blick, who is somewhere in Africa. Mm -hmm. And he talked about making the IOC more relevant to the world and doing more for diversity. And then he slipped in, I don't agree with athletes and protesting in the competition areas and on the podium. But we should promote areas where they can talk about their issues. So at least people know there's a platform that they can use for that. So that was a little interesting dig. Another interesting thing was uh, IOC member Batishing Batbold, who is from Mongolia, and he talked about having giving more exposure to smaller countries who can show off their culture a little bit more. Because uh, Mongolia was actually going to have a they were, they were going to have a Mongolia house at Tokyo. It was going to be by the Tokyo Tower. And now they're switching to having a digital Mongolia house. And he said, look, we need to promote stuff like that, having physical houses and digital houses to show off the culture of different countries. So that was interesting. They talked about uh, sustainable Olympic Games. I thought this was really, co- really interesting because uh, Spiros Kapralos, who was an IOC member who worked on Athens 2004, he actually said, yeah, in Athens we made a whole bunch of mistakes, and we built venues that we did not use. And so he was very, very pro-using existing venues. And then he was like, dude... Well, he didn't say dude, but he was like... Did he throw a plate? I mean... But he said, you know what else is sustainable? These virtual meetings, because there we know how to do them now let's increase the number yeah yeah we we do want to have meetings in person but you know if we have more virtual meetings we can save money and make that money available to the athletes which i thought was a very interesting thing to say and it also made me realize that i bet a lot of these IOC members have to travel a lot. And I think a lot of that is out of their own pocket. I think they get a pretty healthy per diem. But but think, if you're on like two or three committees and they all are like, well, we are meeting in Lausanne. And you got to travel to Lausanne a couple times a month. That adds up. And
2: are you getting the best people on the IOC?
1: Right. You're getting the people you know, who can afford it. Because if
2: you, if you, one, you, can you afford it? Two, do you have the time? And... The, you know spreading yourself so thin because if they're on the IOC th- these are not ordinary folk there are there are many royals there are many you know sort of retired diplomats and are we becoming an echo chamber and would expanding or would changing the way the IOC operates to more of a virtual we can do things a little differently change the organization to make it more Democratic is not the right word, but more open.
1: Right. And you get more diversity that way. And I I really liked the point how he said we can, if we save money like this, we can make it available to the athletes. And that's always a sticking point for a lot of things when athletes get into the system and they realize, oh, we don't get any money and there's not many programs for us. when there's so much need so we'll see what happens. Uh, Good Kirst- on you, Spiros. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kirstie Coventry, who heads up the Athletes Commission, she gave an update on Rule 50. Ooh! Well, there's not much Sorry. of an update. <laughs> they, they did a lot of data gathering and talked with 3,500-plus athletes, 185 National Olympic Committees in all of the sports, did a lot of one-on-one talks with uh the NOC's athletes commissions and so they've got a ton of data and they're putting it all together right now and they they brought in an independent expert to provide some information and soon it's got to be soon cuz they don't have much time they will make recommendations to the executive board
2: little disappointed that we are not one of those experts but okay <laughs> I'll forgive you this time personally.
1: You can listen to the
2: episode where we go off on roll
1: 50. Thanks. It's hard though. Yeah. Oh, this is all in the agenda. I'm sorry. This is all in the agenda 2020 plus five portion of this, this uh, meeting, which is day three. And they talked about uh, also enhancing and promoting the road to the Olympic games. And uh, Coetzee was talking about this because There's a need to focus on the promotion of athletes and how they get to the games. And right now there are thousands of qualification events. And I think it's very confusing for very, very many people on the outside. So uh, they want to connect and engage better and make sure that people know that qualification events or qualify are qualification events. Because a lot of people don't know, oh, this is a tournament that decides whether people go to the Olympics or not.
2: Hmm. Right. We talked about this, I think, at the last press conference.
1: So they're they're talking about authorizing use of the Olympic branding and Olympic committee, uh, the, the organizing committee marks for events to use to show that they are qualifiers. And they are perhaps going to give more recognition to continental events like the Pan Am Games and the European Games and the Asian Games and the African Games to give more recognition to them. And the IOC member who is from the Pan Am Games was all for this because I think the Continental Games have lost a little bit of their stature over time. I think back in the 50s and 60s, they used to be more important than they are now, just because there are so many events. But this IOC member said, oh, hey, if we could definitely qualify for the Olympics through the Pan Am Games... We have a completely different product, and we would get the best athletes. So on one hand, I thought, okay, that's that's really interesting because some people did punch their ticket to Tokyo at Pan Am Games, or they got a quota spot at the Pan Am Games, but not everybody. And there are some sports that definitely see these as opportunities for maybe the B team to get international experience because we see that with gymnastics, I think, especially on the yes. Pan Am Games where it's just like, well, you've worked really hard. Here's an international event for you. So that's the question. Like, where do you give the opportunities to somebody who probably won't go to the Olympics versus always having the best athletes at every event? And then uh, the IOC wants to harmonize the sports calendar and make it less congested. But that's going to be a bear of a project, I think. Because the more congestion you have the more money is coming in for sports and sponsors and broadcasts to the federations and the event hosts and they need that there's congestion because there's new evolution of sports so you have urban versions and beach versions of a lot of sports and more events means more revenue coming in for developing the sport so how do you make a calendar that's a little bit easier to understand at an olympic level good question
2: good luck with that whiteboard
1: right <laughs> And then finally the the big uh, one of the big topics was talking about virtual sports and engagement with the video gaming communities. Oh. I know. But I finally understood the distinction they wanted to make because there's two different types of esports. There's the straight-on video games and then there's virtual versions of a sport where you are being physically active, so like you're on an oh. indoor rowing machine. There's indoor rowing competitions where you're on the erg thing, like uh, uh, cycling. You can have uh, cycling competitions on a stationary bike. Um, so that's what they were talking about when they talk about virtual sports. They they get that v- esports is very popular, but Bach was pretty adamant on we don't want any shoot 'em up games. And that's what a lot of esports is. The- Did he use that phrase? No, he didn't. He said violence.
2: <laughs> I would really love to hear T-Box say shoot 'em up
1: games. <laughs> but there's potential down the road for these virtual versions of active sports to be included. That would be within the International Federation to propose as an event. And they need some clear strategy and direction for this, but they've opened the door to that down the road. Which I thought was very interesting because I can see like, oh, we're in a country that it's a lot cheaper to buy five indoor rowing machines and do erging than it probably is to get a whole rowing program going and having boats it's like a that. start. Right. Yeah. I think they see this as a way to open up sport to uh countries that have uh to poorer countries flat basically
2: so we'll see and it is the only way i could ever compete in cycling
1: Mm, maybe that was the ioc session it was a very successful tokyo test event you feel good um yeah i was really tired at the end but then when i realized oh this was a test event and i i know like okay there's gonna be you're gonna need naps you're gonna need some core work i think and... Do you need
2: to make some dietary changes on your nutrition oh, yeah, plan? Yeah. and
1: <laughs> but I've already implemented some. So,
2: tested out your equipment, your chair, mm-hmm. your your viewing that areas. You-
1: yes, yes, all good, all good. So we're getting there. <laughs> It is the 25th anniversary of the Atlanta 1996 Olympics, so every week we're looking back at some of the stories from these games. Allison, it's your week. What do you got for me?
2: It is my week. So one of the most famous moments from 1996 is the Magnificent Seven in women's gymnastics, where the U.S. women's team won the gold medal, and in the last event, Carrie Strug made her vault and severely injured her ankle. We've all mm-hmm. seen the, the landing where she lands and she pops up and she's on one foot and she collapses to the ground and then Bella Caroli has to carry her to the medal stand. She ended up being awarded the Olympic Spirit Award for this endeavor. She got tons and tons of press about making this vault. But I think we're missing a lot of that story. And one of the things that took me a lot to find out was what actually happened to her. Physically, you know, everyone knows she hurt her ankle, but it's grosser than I ever imagined. Oh, she had torn two ligaments, had a third-degree lateral sprain, <gasps> and significant tendon damage.
1: Oh my goodness!
2: So this wasn't just a little ooh, I sprained my ankle, which I have done, and yet, no, you can't stand on it for a minute. But this was a heavy-duty injury, to the point that it ended her competitive career.
1: Wow,
2: that vault! was the last time she competed. She, of course, had to pull out of the Mm all-around at the Olympics, which she qualified for. Could not compete in any of the individual apparatus finals Mm -hmm. and never competed again. And to me, the worst part about this story, which I may have mentioned on the show before, but I don't think it actually made it to air, was the United States would have won the gold medal without that second vault. (sighs) Because they were on, you know in women's gymnastics and men's gymnastics all the apparatus are being competed at the same time mm-hmm. so in the team event the united states is on vault china will be on the bars the uk will be on the beam and russia will be on the floor you know all vault a- obviously the fastest of all the apparatus you get right. through it most quickly russia who was in second place was competing the floor which is the longest your program is the longest. It takes the most time. So the United States went into the final rotation with a significant lead, but because vault was a weaker event for them, floor was a stronger event for Russia. The oh. lead was shrinking.
1: Oh.
2: However, in the end, they still would have won by three tenths of a point, which is not insignificant in gymnastics competition. mm mm-hmm if Dominic Maciano's vault had stood as the score that was counted versus Kerry Strug, because they throw at the time, they threw out the lowest score.
1: Oh, so even the lowest score for the U.S. would have won them the goal. Without Kerry Strug's second vault. So before
2: Kerry Strug vaulted, their lowest score was a 9.2. Okay. Her first vault re- received a 9.1 and change. Okay. So that would have gotten thrown out. The 9.2 would have stood. And they still would have won by 3 tenths of a point.
1: But they didn't know because Russia's floor was going on so much longer that anybody Correct. in the in the the last few Russian competitors there was one more. could Okay, and and she if she had nailed everything, her score could have put them over. Could the top. have.
2: But was unlikely to given her base value.
1: Do you know what uh, Carrie's second vault scored?
2: It was a nine four one three, I think.
1: Oh wow! I'm not so a, that. I don't have a note on. So it was it was significantly, significantly higher, higher because she nailed it. So interesting.
2: But was it worth ending her career over? Is the question.
1: That's a good question. I wonder what she would think of that. But she went on to school and doing other things with her life. But would she have wanted to have some kind of gymnastics career? Like, obviously, she couldn't go on the tour and make tour money.
2: Could she have, in fact, competed in either the all-around? We don't know what the injury was or how serious the injury was after the first vault versus after the second vault. The second vault did significantly more damage.
0: Mm-hmm. but
2: with a couple days rest, could she have competed say in an event final because the injury would have been much less significant. Right. And she would have had a couple of days and they still would have won the team gold. <sighs> Puts it in a whole different light. Right. At least for me it does. And it, it goes back to what the press gloms onto. I mean, she became this Olympic hero at a very young age not necessarily of her choosing and what was the cost of that.
1: Right. And that moment is also one of the iconic moments you see from Atlanta over and over again. So what you have to wonder, what does she think watching if she happens to see it? Because who knows? But, you know, you happen to see yourself get this traumatic injury that ended your career, whether you were going to end it then or not, but it, it ended it for you. What is that like to see that replayed as a shining moment in Olympic history? Ah, oh, that's a good question. That's a tough situation. And, and if, one we may never find out because she's not going to be telling the press that.
2: Maybe she will. After all the that's come out about gymnastics, maybe she will.
1: little bit of uh, Paralympic news for you. The International Paralympic Committee has started a process to review and update its classification code, which is a big deal. The last time they updated it was 2015. And this is going to be a three-year process. So it'll end in 2024, and they'll implement it for summer sports in 2025. And then in winter sports, it'll be July 2026, so after the 2026 Paralympics. So big deal. Lots of news coming down the pike on that. And we'll, we'll see what we can learn as we go along, because as we found out, classifications are really tough, but they're incredibly important. They are vital to having the right athletes compete and trying to make the playing field even for Paralympians.
2: Giles Long's going to make new pictures.
1: Those are helpful. Those are so helpful. I love
2: them. Oh, my goodness. Ever since we had Giles Long and he was talking about the Lexi system and you had the visual symbols for classification, it's so much easier.
1: It is. It is. It'll be interesting to see how this process works out, and hopefully they'll stick to their time frame. Okay, and that's going to do it for this episode. Remember, we talked about 3x3 basketball. (laughs) Let us know what you think of that.
2: Email us at flamealivepod at gmail.com. Or call our voicemail hotline at 208 Flame It or Flame Alive Pod on Twitter and Insta and Keep the Flame Alive Podcast Group on Facebook.
1: Next week, our guest will be equestrian Philip Dutton. Remember him from Atlanta, 1996. We're talking with him about eventing. So, as we go out to music by Archdale, thank you so much for listening and until next time, keep the flame alive.
2: Not ordinary folk.